0: We're looking at John chapter 14, and when you come to John chapter 14, there's some things that we need to keep in mind as we kind of set the stage, because as we look back to chapter 13, we realize that 13, 14, 15, and 16, seemingly, seemingly notice that word, is in the upper room. There's been some activities that have taken place in chapter 13. Jesus has done something that only servants do. And it shocked the disciples. You can imagine that if you were in that situation and a servant washes your feet every time you come into a building, and that's what's happened because you wear sandals all the time, your feet are dirty, and that's exactly what the servant would do, the bond servant. And yet Jesus takes a towel and begins to wash the feet of the disciples. And when he comes to Peter, he said, you'll never wash my feet. And I think what Peter was expressing was what each one of those individuals felt. Peter was just one of those who would just speak it out. We know that he... Spoke sometimes when he wasn't supposed to, and I'm so glad there is a man by the name of Peter because I've put my foot in my mouth from time to time, and so if if Jesus loved Peter, I know He loves me as well. And so what what we realize is that when when this took place, all of those disciples were kind of shocked. And then they heard the words that there was going to be one of them that would betray them. Betray him. And of course we know that to be Judas Iscariot. And then on top of that, Peter says to the Lord, I'll go with you anywhere. I'll even die for you. And Jesus says, wait a minute, Peter. Before tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. Now, that's the background of chapter 14. And we have to understand that to understand all the dynamics that are taking place. So when Jesus begins his words in John chapter 14, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or many rooms depending on the version that you're using. And I wouldn't have told you that I'd go to a fair place for you, and I will come again and take you in myself. So with that, I want us to think about those life-unexpected moments that turn our world upside down. That's exactly what that was happening in John chapter 13, and that's why Jesus would say... Let not your hearts be troubled. And we need to know that that's an imperative statement. It's not like I suggest that you not have a troubled heart. It's an imperative statement. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe in me. So with that, I want us to think just for a moment about what happens when we turn, our world turns upside down. In other words, it's good for us to come to this text and to explain all of it. But do we walk out of here and have no application to our own life? Do we just read this and we hear what went wrong with the disciples? Or is there something that takes place in our own lives? And so, I would suggest to you that when Jesus says, trust in God, trust in me, you and I can take the same words. And the way we trust in God is because he's spoken to us. The reason we can listen to Jesus is because he has spoken to us. The reason, and so we turn to the word and it's like god speaking to us so we trust in him so what what are let's just for a moment just think about some of those go to passages that when our world turns upside down that those are the words that we go to just for a moment anybody want to share those go to scriptures that you use when your world turns upside down Jeremiah 31, 31 31-34 Okay You want to say it? Or you want to read it?
1: Here the days are coming says Adonai when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Yehuda. it will not be like the one covenant I made with their fathers on the day I took them by their hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt because they for their part violated my covenant even though I, for my part, was a husband to them, says Adonai. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after these days, says Adonai. I will put my Torah within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will any of them teach his fellow community member or his brother to know Adonai, for all will know me, from the least of them to the greatest because I will give their wickedness
0: I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more and when your world is turned upside down because there is a new covenant that Jesus has given to you that is something that calms your heart is that what you're saying it calms my heart to know but Adonai is there, and he will always be there. He is there and always will be there. Very good. Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, majestic
1: is your name in all the earth. You set your glory above the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. To silence of the foe and the avengers. When I consider the heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings, that you care for them? You have made them little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and animals.
0: And when your world turns upside down, you see that God is in control and we just need to rely on him. God is in control, and we need to rely on him. Larry. It's two chapters later, 1633. In this world you will
1: have trouble. Expect it, is what he's saying, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And um, he's telling us that, that that
0: victory of overcoming is ours. too. The victory is ours because there is an overcomer. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Well, the reason I wanted to do that just for a moment is because our world turned upside down five years ago when Wanda was diagnosed with cancer. And there was two scriptures that Wanda decided to take as the ones that she would walk through this experience of chemotherapy. And one of them was Deuteronomy 31.8. The Lord will go before you. And he will not leave you nor forsake you. And it was amazing to us about there was times as we walked through that experience that sometimes it was miraculous and sometimes it was just common everyday stuff where we realized that the Lord was going before us. The first chemo treatment that she had, I had a cold and so they wouldn't let me in. And so there were three friends that went and was there during that hour and a half of the first chemo treatment. We realized, again, that's just common occurrence, but the Lord goes before you. Another time that I have to share with you is many times during that time, Wanda was absolutely knocked down because of the chemo. And she was lying on the couch many times. And it was hard for me to see her that way. And Amy graham came to see her. Amy was a person who had gone through breast cancer. And they were there, and all of a sudden, I heard them laughing. That's the first time I had heard one to laugh. During all of that. To me, that was another common occurrence where the Lord went before us. Isaiah 41.10 also was one of those passages when he says, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will go with you and never leave you. So, with that, I want us to look at this particular experience because when we come to chapter 14, one of the things that we're going to notice is that we're going to see the vulnerability. There is absolutely no pretense. There's absolutely no facade with these 12 men. Well, always we realize that one of them leaves and therefore there's 11 men. Jesus and the disciples makes 12 the ones that are left. And when we see that, we see that there's an interruption in the the things that Jesus wants to say. And the first interruption comes from Peter. The second one comes from Thomas. The third one comes from Philip. And the last one comes from Judas, or the son of James, not Iscariot. And so I think that's going to be one of the ways that we're going to look at this particular passage is to see these interruptions that take place. But the first thing that I want us to see is that this, we're not going to deal with it too long because it was dealt with a little bit last week, but the interruption of Peter. When he said, I'll go with you, even die for you. What's the difference between Peter and Judas? Peter's fear
2: motivated him to not ever be in that place again. And Judas's fear um, paralyzed him that he um, turned inward and destroyed his life.
0: Peter was one who realized that the fear that he had was something that he would look back on that and say, I'll never do that again. Whereas Judas, his fear led him to absolutely take his own life. There was no hope. And so when we look at these two men, we realize that there's there's definitely a difference. Peter was an individual that he truly believed that he would go anywhere with the Lord, that he would actually die for him. And yet when the moment came, he wouldn't. And can't we put ourselves in that? There's times that we would say... In, in, the, in the good moments, I would never, I would never do that. I would never do, and bam, it happens. And you think, why, 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 why did I do that? I will never do it again. So with that, we realize that that's one of the reasons that Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. The next one we want to look at is Thomas. Look with me as we come to verse 5, and before we get there, I want to read a little bit of the verses right prior to that. I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you into myself, that where I am you may be also, and you will know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. When we look at that, I think sometimes we've heard the words, that sure is exclusive, that Jesus is the only way, the only truth the only life but we sometimes forget who Jesus is Jesus is God he is God in the flesh he is the god man and so when he says i am the way i am the truth i am he is the epitome of the image of god the one in the flesh and so, when he says, I'm the way, he's saying, God is the way. God is the way. God is the truth. God is the life. And it, it, it's one of those passages that we look at sometimes to just realize uh, the emphasis that it, about Jesus being God. And I'd like to read it to you. I'm going to read a passage in Colossians. It's talking about the preeminence of Christ. I'm going to be reading from verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, And He is before all things, and in Him all things are whole together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That is in everything, He might be preeminent. When Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am life, He is the God-man who is saying that. Yes? I think in saying this, He's
1: telling that his students is tell me that I am the living word of Hashem. Because when you... The Torah, the right standard is called the way. The left standard is called the truth. And the writing in between is called the light. So he's saying, I am the living word of
0: Hashem. I am the living word. hey Yeah.
2: Which is a paraphrase of the sense that how John opens the book. That in the beginning was the Word, with God, was God, created everything, and became flesh. Okay. Very good.
0: It's a, it's a beautiful thing to think about when he says this that it's not an exclusive statement, it is a, 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 a statement of fact. And yet so many times uh, it has been criticized that it's an exclusive statement. It's God speaking through the God-man. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Yes, excuse me. It's also a completeness of everything because what do we want? We want to know the way. I mean, you don't
2: want to go down life not knowing what way you're going. The truth. We want truth. We don't want lies. We want to know the real thing. And life, it's all about what really life is. So that little
0: statement says it all. And I I like the way you said It's completeness. Absolutely. Completeness. Completeness. Yes. Okay. So when we come to that, to Thomas, we realize that Again, we're seeing the vulnerability. Bill, excuse me. Uh, You go back to chapter 14, verse 1. And
1: when Jesus says uh, that I'm going to prepare a place for you, a lot of people think he's going to heaven, but the only place he could go was to the cross. And even if he's God-man, he has to die, and he has to be sacrificed, and his blood has to be shed, and he has to be raised from the grave in order for all of this to put together and work.
0: You know, that was God's plan from the very beginning. Very good. When he does say that, he, that I'm going to prepare a place for you, we need to realize that in the book of Matthew, it says that he has prepared heaven from the foundation of the, of the world, okay? So if, in other words, there's no, there's nothing that he has to repair There's nothing that he has to make ready except the cross. In other words, there there is still condemnation for all of us, and that's the way he prepares it. He goes and sheds his blood. And of course, many of you know that one of my favorite passages is 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. It's an amazing what happened here at this particular point. And that's exactly what's happening when he says, I've gone to prepare a place for you. Is that he becomes the sacrificial lamb so that you and I can have righteousness, that you and I can have the idea that there is absolutely no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If there's any one passage that ought to just make you say hallelujah, that's a particular one. It's not like... I can do anything I want to do, but because I am a child of God, because of who Jesus is, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the beautiful thing is like he has gone to prepare a place. And thank you, Bill, for saying that because yes, he didn't try to go to make something ready other than to go to the cross. A horrible, horrible experience. The next thing that we see is Philip uh, as interrupting the conversation at this particular point. No one comes to the Father. I'm, I'm, I'm reading at the, right after the I am the way and the truth and life, verse 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Is that the vulnerability of these men? There is no facade. There is no pretense. It's like being in a situation that's unbelievable. They're just completely, totally honest. And here Philip just says, just show us the Father. That's enough. And listen to what Jesus says. Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? I'm not going to put you in this situation. I'm just going to put myself in this situation. I am so glad that that's in the Bible because I wonder what in the world in my own life that I have completely missed. Here is a man who has walked with Jesus and has seen all the miracles, seeing a man being risen from the dead, seeing a man that was born blind and now has sight, seeing the wedding at Cana, where water was turned into wine. The men have been with him, And yet he says, show us the Father. And that's enough for us. And I'm saying to myself, Skip, what is it that I have completely missed? And it's it's like these men are, are just earthly minded. They don't see the big picture. And I wonder how many of us don't see the big picture of what God has done for us and what Jesus and the very fact that he came to die upon a cross for us to give us this amazing, abundant life. I came to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. I want you to live that life. I want you to live that abundant life. So, yes.
1: Not Experience Jesus. And how many times when we run up against something that causes risk do we fall back on what we know and not what we may know?
0: Okay, very good. And I think that really puts it in uh, our great perspective is that how many times in our own life do we know what we should know but yet we fall back on what we know before? Christ. Yeah, I'm going fishing. (laughs) Yeah, it's all over. I'm going fishing. Then he goes on to say, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else, believe me, on the count works themselves. I, I sometimes have to have an illustration to make sense to myself. And so, if this doesn't touch you, I'm, I'm sorry. But, uh, to think about what Jesus is saying here, that I'm, I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. The illustration is a little boy who has a terranium, not of ants. And he every day watches these ants make their little tunnels as they go through and he could see that there's so many mistakes that they're making. And he says to his mom, mom if I could only become an ant I could help them with this task that they are a part of. And I think I know the illustration breaks down, but God says, if I could only become a human, <laughs> I could help these people to understand. And so that's what he says when, I, when he says, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. The, the beautiful thing is that he became one of us in order to show us the way. Not, not only the cross, but to show us the way. Yes, Richard.
1: Who's the only other individual that Hashem spoke to directly? Moshe. Moshe would take the words that Hashem gave to him and tell Israel exactly what he said and wrote it down exactly as it was told to him. And the one who will come after him, who will be like him, Yeshua, who is speaking only the
0: words that his father has given to him to speak. And that's something that he says over and over and over again throughout this gospel is I speak only the words that the father has given me. I don't speak on my own authority. I speak only on the authority of God himself. Then I want us to see that um, Truly I say to you, beginning verse 12, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I hope we never come to the point that we have give me prayers. Give me this, Lord. Give me this, Lord. Give me this, Lord. He's not saying in this particular scripture that we can have these gimme prayers. What he's saying is that the way you glorify me and the way you glorify the Father is you ask anything in my name. So, what I'm saying to you is that instead of saying, Gimme, when we ask the Lord for anything, Lord, I ask this so that I might glorify you. I ask this so that your name can be glorified. I ask this that the name of Jesus can be glorified. And I go back to a a scripture that we have looked at before, but I, I think that it speaks right to this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 beginning with verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. People, I think it would be so amazing if we prayed for one another that way. Lord, I pray for Bill Walker. I pray that you will empower him to do the things his faith prompts him to do so that the name of Jesus will be glorified in him and him in you. What an awesome prayer. And that's what he's saying here is that you can ask anything in my name and I will give it to you. But I, I, I want us to see that when he says that, it's not a give me prayer, it's so that the name of Jesus will be glorified. Look at verse 13, John chapter 14, 13. Whenever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so, that's the way we pray. That's the awesome way we pray. That we find this beautiful thought of really getting to this idea of what it is instead of this, give me prayers. Give me this, give me this, give me this. Anybody got a comment? I hope I'm communicating. <laughs> Let's look, look at uh, the, the interruption of Judas the son of James, the one that's not Iscariot. 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he, is he, who, he, is the, it, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be beloved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world. And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. The beautiful way that we are able." For Jesus to manifest to us or to let us be known, let Him to be known in our life is to keep His Word. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm not just saying this to you, I'm manifesting myself to anyone who hears my Word and does my Word. And by that, you prove that you love me. When we allow this to be something that we daily allow ourselves to go to, and allow him to speak to our lives, and obey those words, that's the way that Jesus manifests himself to the world. Is through his word. And when we do that, it is pure love. We show the love that we have for the man Jesus. Love plus obedience. And last Sunday, Gary went into this idea that sometimes... We don't look at this idea of obedience as as important as, as it really is. That we sometimes shy away from that because it seems to be a work. If we obey, it must be a work. And we know that we're not saved by our works. And We're not even talking about salvation now. We're talking about Jesus being manifested in our life. And that's the beautiful thing about it. That's how it happens. It takes place like this. And it produces an intimacy that's far beyond anything that we could ever think. That Jesus has an intimate relationship with us that becomes very dear. These things I've... This is verse uh, 25. 1425. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Several several weeks ago, somebody came up to me and said, I wonder how John knew all that went on there. Good, Good statement, good question. And I kind of fumbled around when this person asked me, and And I thought to myself when I read this, that's the answer. The reason John was able to say the things that he said in this gospel about certain things that took place is because of this particular verse. The Father, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I've said to you. And when I think about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I think about these guys... How that they were able to share what Jesus said and did in a beautiful way that we call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's because he teaches them, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course, somebody says to me, Skip, that's, that's not anything new. I mean, we know that the reason that the Word of God is here in our hands is because of the power of the Holy Spirit writing through these men in their own personalities. Yes, but it seems so plain in this particular sentence when he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, when the Father will send him in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said. And one of the things that we'll see as we go through 15, 16, and 17, well, 17 is more of a priestly prayer, but 15 and 16, we'll see how often the Holy Spirit becomes a part of what Jesus wants to share with us and how we have a helper, a comforter, who walks with us day by day. Richard.
1: Comforter is referred to as Menachem. So whenever you hear the term Menachem, Menachem Bacon, He was the prime minister of Israel. He was the comforter for Israel at that time.
0: Okay, all right. Comforter, advocate, helper—all three of these words bring out a beautiful thing about we have that gift of the Holy Spirit working in our life in a daily way. Yes.
2: Another thing that I think is. Maybe included in verse 26 when he tells them the spirit when he comes, the helper when he comes he's talking to the eleven he will guide you he will tell you all things I believe it's uh, consistent to say that the disciples were given all the truth that God wanted mankind to have in order to live in a way to please Him. Therefore, there are no new revelations coming through time, through the centuries. There's no new truth coming to mankind from God by modern prophets who say, God revealed this to me. You need to do this and that to please Him believe the scripture said it is saying here in verse 26 that God's going to tell you all the things you need to know and so when Peter says, so says in 2 Peter chapter 1 that he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness there's no additional revelation that we should look for or that people can give that's not biblical
0: okay all right I hope everyone got to hear that because there, there is, I'll just review it just a little bit, there is no new revelation. It is the very thing that Jesus has given to all things that pertain to life and godliness has been given to us. Second Peter chapter 1, that through these we may become partakers of divine nature. Think about that. That we can be a partaker of divine nature. And when we look at those qualities, those promises that have been given to us, that helps us to escape the corruption that is now in the world, and we can become a partaker of the divine nature because of the Word of God. Richard. Muhammad said,
1: and the whole world will have no other occupation but only to know the Lord. And they will obtain a knowledge of their Creator as far as the power of man allows. Exactly
0: what Gary says. Nothing new. Okay. And, and to think about how that is in and of itself is a beautiful thing in the sense that this is it. This is where we have. This is what we have. And therefore, it's something that we need to spend some time with. All right. <clears throat> Beginning with verse 27. Fourteen twenty-seven. peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You've heard me say this to you, and I'm going away and I will come to you. And if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place. So when it does take place, you may believe. And we know at this particular point that even when he has told them this particular thing, it causes them to think, oh my, I think the best thing for us to do is to go fishing. Once Jesus died on the cross, they thought it was all over. And yet at this particular verse, he's trying to say, I've told told you this so that when it does happen you may believe. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, I will no longer talk to you much for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me but I do what has the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. When you think about this just for a moment One of the scriptures that has always bothered me is Hebrews chapter 12. When he says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy... That's what discourages me. Who for the joy, it doesn't discourage me, it's something I don't understand. Who for the joy set before me, I endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Who for the joy that was set before me. When I think about that particular statement, I come back to this statement here that seems to have some ring to it. I will no longer talk with you for the ruler of this world has come to me. He has no claim on me, but I do as my Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. I know that's not the only joy that helped him to endure that cross, but I think that's one of the joys that the world would know That I love the Father. I want you just for a moment to think of a triangle, an upside down triangle. I want you to put in this corner God the Father. I want you to put in this corner God the Son. And I want you to put here God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son. God the Holy Spirit, in this triangle. In the middle of that triangle, I want you to see the word God. Okay? God is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. But the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. In other words... The Trinity, as we think about it, when we think all of this taking place, we see that they each have their own identity at the same time they are God. And so somebody says, Well, what has that got to do with it? Let's read it one more time. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Even though Jesus was God he wanted to magnify the Father. God. And yet, they are, all three are God. But he wanted to magnify the Father by doing these particular things that are shared here in chapter 14. And I think it's a wonderful way to leave this idea. And yet, there's one thing that I have to say at the very end when he says, let us go from here. And yet it continues in verse 15 as if they were staying right there in the upper room. So I'm going to leave that with Gary. Gary, you, you share with us. when you, I want you to explain all that. Thank you for enduring my time trying to share with you the word of God. Thank you.